Hello, you are listening to the podcast of the Supply Chain Talks by the Port of Rotterdam. My name is Anoush Gelehei and in this series I discuss some of the most influential developments, trends and innovations with industry leaders and experts in shipping and logistics. Today, joining me, Bart Kuipers, Port Economist at Erasmus Center for Urban Port and Transport Economics with Erasmus University Rotterdam. Yes, Bart, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing very well. Nice to be here. Well, wonderful. Yes, Bart, in, in one of your recently post messages on LinkedIn, um, you were telling us that you were enjoying the wild beauty of the Rotterdam Harbor in the evening sun but that you, because of the lockdown measures, uh, was missing the typical Dutch snack, the bitter baller. Um, is that um, the most important thing that you can eat when you are at the harbor? <laughs> well, I don't think it's the most important thing. It's, it's not very healthy. So uh, uh, I often eat it at the entrance of uh, the port of Rotterdam, um, and I eat it to wait for the arrival of interesting ships. Um, there is a very, a very interesting uh, um, part of the port uh, where you can watch all those very big container ships approaching the port but yes sometimes you have to wait and then uh, these types of snacks is uh, is very nice yes where does your passion for ships and and ports and vessels where does it come from Well, I grew up um, in the vicinity uh, of the port, uh, under the smoke of the port of Rotterdam, they used to say, in the then tiny village of uh, Spijkenissen. Uh, that was, uh, when I was born, it was only 3,000 inhabitants, and it developed into a city of 70,000 developments, and quite a lot of the people uh, that uh, that uh, that came to this town of Spijkenissen, they were working in the port. And also my parents came to Spijkenissen because uh, it... it, it uh, It rose as a as a location uh, also to the growth of the port in the 1950s and 60s. So the development of the port and the, and the growth of the port was was really something that was in my DNA. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. So that's your passion. That's where your passion comes from. Absolutely. Yes, your youth and your background, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So let's also talk about the latest news because the last few months uh, they have underlined a strong interdependency of world trade and container shipping. And not only because of the corona pandemic, but also, of course, uh, because of the recent blockage uh, of the Suez Canal. Um, so what have you ever seen this kind of enormous disruptions in the global supply chain? No, this is very unusual. And if you look at the statistics, uh, and those statistics are going back to some, some two decades. Uh, this, this is not seen um, in, in the maritime system. This type of disruption, so this type of um, uh, lengthening of, um, of lead times in shipping, um, it, it's unique, so to say. And Well, the basis, of course, was COVID-19, which was well, it, which was um, a very disruptive influence in uh, 2020. Um, first of all, because of the lockdowns and all the blank sailings um, in 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 the first half year, but especially with what happened in uh, in November, December, when. Um, an enormous increase of the tariffs uh, of the east-west trades occurred. 
in which the tariffs rose by a factor of four. Uh, they quadrupled, uh, and, and that was very special and never seen uh, in almost two decades, uh, which uh, of, of which I have records. Yes, because you, you are actually walking a, a long road already in, in, in shipping and economics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what do you think, what will be the, the impact uh, of the blockage? Let's Let's focus also on the blockage of the Suez Canal. Uh, the Suez Canal blockage, well, I think that um, that will have uh, a short-term effects. Um, it has a big disruption in, in now and in the coming months, uh, but it's building on top of, of uh, more structural trends related to COVID-19. So it was exactly uh, the, the, the wrong time to have this type of, uh, of a blockade ha- happening in the Suez Canal because of the already uh, uh, of the events already happening in the maritime supply chains. So it increased the drama, so to say. Yeah, so it, it is a kind of excess, uh, yeah, an increasing of, yeah. of the drama. Um, and could could we have done anything um, that would actually uh, decrease the impacts, like more collaboration or something like that? Well, I think that that uh, the cause of um, of of, of COVID nineteen um, uh, and the impact on shipping, um, I think that that is hardly there's hardly anything to do from the port perspective. Um, there is an enormous growth of demand of of the economies of. Um, Europe and of uh, the United States related to the the underlying trends in in COVID-19. Because of COVID-19, we cannot go uh, to restaurants, we cannot go skiing, we cannot go on holidays. So we spent our money on products. Um, We we all changed our our houses uh, to to virtual offices. So there is a big um, demand for hardware, for office desks. Um, uh, I especially very much need to to do some extra exercising um, and quite a lot of other people too. So there is a real demand on uh, running shoes, um, bicycles, and that meant that all those um, all those electronics, all those consumer products, all those sport products, most of it is still produced in China. And the effect of this huge demand for products instead of services, uh, mainly coming from China, that was the real effect on the supply chain. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the port system and, um, and the container carrier system, well, uh, they only can react. And what is sure that this this influence is way too important and way too big uh, for the container system to handle. So yeah. that is something that happened and. Uh, well, it resulted in this enormous rise of tariffs. It resulted in an increase of unreliability. And what's very important, it increased in a, a shortage of empty containers. Yes, because this has everything to do with our business model of offshoring, uh, yeah. of course. And in our last podcast, um, Annette Koster, our guest, um, she also left a question for you um, about reshoring. Well, because do you think, is it a threat or an opportunity in, in this respect? Well, um, I think it's an opportunity. Um Um, what you see right now is that the increase in uh, in tariffs is for some type of of exporters way too high. It it is related to to uh, the value of the cargo or is increasing the value of the cargo. Uh, and you should be aware that 
um, that um, the container tariff is only a part of the total costs of, of exporting. Uh, you have also financial risks uh, costs. You have also um, uh, uh, all kinds of other costs like repositioning costs, uh, insurance costs, etc. Um, it all adds up. And I think that for certain types of exporters, this will uh, this will result in, um, I think, not reshoring. So it, uh, the, the 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 production will not brought back to countries like the Netherlands, but I think of nearshoring in the vicinity of the markets. And I think of North Africa, I think of Eastern Europe. So I think that that um, instead of producing in China. Uh, there will be a boost of producing in, in countries like Poland, Hungary, uh, Morocco, etc., uh, to be near the market. And you see that uh, some very successful brands in fashion, like Zara, they already have this near-sourcing uh, strategy. Um, uh, they, uh, they are sourcing their... Um, um, their uh, products from from Portugal, from Spain, from Turkey, very close to the market, and they can react to the market. So, 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 so does it, will it make the chain less vulnerable then? Yeah, I think that um, there will be some strategies related to uh, indeed making the chain less vulnerable, so making the chain shorter, making it less complex, uh, and even uh, that that I think uh, a bit more supply, a bit more warehousing. Um, and I think all those strategies uh, will be um, will be considered together. So it's it's not that you do one thing or the other thing. Um, I think what we're doing right now only one uh, source of supply in China. I think there will be alternative supplies. Yes. And what will be the uh, the the impact on the world economy then? Because China now has a very dominant and yes. an important position. Well, I think that in the long run, China will still be a dominant uh, uh, country for uh, for production. But I think it will not grow uh, that fast anymore. And I think that we see regional growth. So I think it, it's, it's uh, more or less regionalism. And I think it's a, a form of deglobalization. Um, I think it's, it will not be very spectacular. It will be something of the coming decades. There is much more like all kinds of geopolitical tensions uh, at the moment related to, to China. Then you can also say there are issues related to um, sustainability. Um, uh, and that's also um, uh, uh, favoring short supply chains instead of um, uh, using containers for worldwide transport and, and related emissions. So I think that everything together, um, I expect that, um, well, th that container growth will diminish. Um, what we saw in, in 2010, um, 2000 to 2008, we saw that the, the global container industry uh, showed 6% growth on average each year. After the global financial crisis, that um, that slowed down to 4% on average each year. And I think after um, COVID-19, after the current crisis, I think it, it might be 2%. Okay. Instead of, so it goes from 6 to 4 to 2. Yeah. And, and maybe even lower. So, um, uh, so will we ever ever go back 
to normal because some say the chaos is is far from over. Yes. America will will be spending more um, soon as they will receive yes. uh, the Corona check uh, from the government. And we also have the the, the after summer in Europe um, and the US will start their Christmas shipment already. Yeah. Yeah. So, w- do you think that that after the crisis or after the chaos will there be a back to normal situation then? Well, I very much hope that we will soon uh, uh, that we soon are after the crisis. Uh, if you look at India right now, and if you look at Brazil, um, so um, I think that that uh, if we are all buying products instead of services, um, I think that um, uh, in in one year or in two years we are going to consume more services because well, if you have. Uh, your electronic devices if you have your new running shoes uh, you're not going to buy um, uh, new ones again and if you have your freedom back of course yes and if you have your freedom back I think so I think that there will be a boost on consuming of services uh, holidays etc and that will mean less products what we also see is that well the container carriers uh, they have huge profits and what are they doing with these profits well one one of it is they are spending on new container capacity. Um, and the early 2021, the first three months saw an enormous rise in uh, in new shipbuilding orders, um, meaning that in two years, the global container market, the, container, uh, the supply of container ships will be large, larger. And uh, so if there will be um, less demand eventually, then well, I am. Uh, I think that there will be again uh, an an, uh, 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 an effect on low tariffs. So the increasing, the the very high level of tariffs right now should end somewhere between now and 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 two three years. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's also quite interesting what you're saying because we have those large large uh, vessels. Yes, um, and they even uh, are getting bigger and bigger. Um, um, every year it looks like yeah. like that. The largest ship is almost uh, twenty four thousand TEU, so that is enormous. Yes. Um, so do you expect that they will keep? growing also because you mentioned that um, probably there will be less goods yeah. or a less demand of goods well um, I'm not the right one to give an answer to that because um, I have some I bet that uh, the maximum scale will be 22,000 euros and I bet some very good bottles of wine and I lost um, because I think there's no uh, economic um, rationality behind these very big container ships um, what you see is that the economies of scale of those ships are resulting in diseconomies of scale on the terminals and also on the hinterland. So it is really the optimization of only one part of the maritime supply chain. Yeah. And that this optimization of these even bigger and bigger ships results in congestion in ports and congestion on the hinterland. How could it even happen then that one party actually in a chain decided to make such a huge vessels knowing that no one can can process them actually? Yeah, it it started with with Maersk. Um, uh, They developed the triple E class as a measure of being much more efficient than the competitors. And I do not think that um, that they really foresaw the effect on the competitors that they also were um, buying even larger ships and that it was sometimes a race to the bottom because if you look at the graph 
um, uh, uh, indicating uh, future growth of those very big container ships. At the moment, we are above uh, um, um, the historical growth towards 30,000 or even more. Uh, but I do not expect that that those ships will be that large because of all the congestion and the diseconomies of scale. And it is really because um, what you see is suddenly such a very big ship enters a port. It, it's usually late. Only 35% of all the container ships at the moment, well, it increased to 40% last month, but only 40% is on time. 40%. 40% 4-0. 40%, 40%, 40%, not on time and on average um, and it's everything to do with the the, the the size of the vessel yes i think what what you knew what you now see is that usually those very big vessels vessels were not utilized to the maximum but now they are and well to the maximum that's also relative because i think the biggest cargo ever was 21,400 or something like that well, well we all know that the capacity is 24,000 so i think maybe the theoretical capacity is much lower but now we see that really the big ships are as full as possible and that's also one of the reasons to my opinion, related to uh, to what happened in the Suez Canal, yeah. because n n there was never where those very big ships laden to the total maximum, and they were very vulnerable for wind, etc. So, you, so you, you're not expecting that that will be the future, that they will be packed totally no, fully. No, I think uh, no, I, I do not think so, because if the, the the call size will be enormous, the effect on the terminals will be enormous, the disruption on the terminals will be enormous. And most of those terminals were not designed for those very big ships. So are we going back to smaller vessels then? Will that be the future? Um, I hope so. I, um, uh, Antwerp University, uh, Professor Cease, uh, she made some calculations. And on, in, in her research, 13 to 16,000 was the optimum scale of, um, uh, from a, 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 a chain perspective. So including the terminal, including the hinterland. And um, I think that 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 makes sense that you um, that 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 you should be uh, the dimensions of the sea ships should be on par with the terminals and the hinterland. Um, and what I think is very interesting is that you see in certain markets that are st are strange things are happening uh, because of the current crisis. A, a global um, forwarder DHL um, hired some general cargo ships to ship containers from. Um, from Singapore to uh, to the tiny port of Moerdijk in the Netherlands, and that is uh, the, uh, that is a development uh, to totally um, uh, outside the current container system. Yep. Uh, that's very interesting. I think. Um, well, industry watchers say no, it's just only temporarily. Uh, well, a, a very good student of mine did some calculations. What about a ship of 1500 TU that does not go to the big terminals and go to a, a short sheet terminal? And he calculated, and, and, and this ship also continued to sail at 20 knots instead of super slow steaming. Well, that this makes make sense that those um, smaller ships, um, not using the big container terminals, um, that that it is is a viable option. Yep. So I'm I'm very interested in that. Um, and you also have the 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 the, the fruit trade, where you have small all um, all all container reefer container ships, also very interesting. Yeah. So could you say that actually the blockage of the Suez Canal is that um, a game um, changing event? 
No, I think that the game-changing event is is uh, what what is related to the the, the events um, uh, that that happened since November, the huge rise of the prices and um, uh, the huge uh, reliability concerns and the, the the shortage of empty containers. So the real container crisis and well, I'm I'm from the 50s, so I I, I really do know the energy crisis in 1973. And you see parallels with that crisis because that was also a quadrupling of oil and that was also the quadrupling of the price of an asset which was vital to the global economy like the container industry is now. And I think that um, the Suez crisis is an incident that worsened this broader container crisis and it was just, uh, well, the perfect um, uh, location and the perfect timing of max, maximum effect um, yes. uh, that uh, and of, of of the awareness probably to, oh yes to all parties in the chain because how can how can they prepare for this 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 game changing event that's already happening then what what would be your advice for all those parties can they prepare and how can they prepare well w- what we see in the port of rotterdam is that in the last years the port of rotterdam prepared very much for the big problem number one that was the hinterland congestion and um, the hinterland congestion, especially the handling of containers uh, to barges, to inland shipping, that was the congestion problem number one in the port of Rotterdam. And in the last five or six years, the port of Rotterdam w- took the lead in um, a broad uh, coalition to solve this problem. And uh, a number of um, of solutions were developed, such as fixed windows, such as a, a barge transferium on, on the Maasvlakte terminal of, of ECT, um, uh, and a number of other issues. Um, NextLogic, the IT um, uh, solution for that. So what, what we see in the last number of years is that they worked on uh, to diminish the problems that were already created. Yeah, but that's that's as a port. Yes. Um, and and how do they? Uh, how can they um, involve all those parties more? Can they do more? To well, I do not think that that as a port you can do something on uh, really some something on the global container uh, system. Um, I think this this market position of the carriers is very strong, so you should um, uh, cooperate with all the ports together. Um, and well, what you see right now is that that um, uh, that there is now something that's called the block exemption rule. Um, that is a rule which um, um, allows the container carriers to perform in the alliance structure. Alliances uh, do have some very big advantages for container carriers, but um, they also see uh, are seen uh, as uh, as a um, well as a, as a really concentration of power. And well, I'm very. Um, I think that that that's one of the issues that you that you can do something about this very powerful position of the carriers. Just think of how useful is the block exemption rule. And well, you also should be very much aware that that the position of the carriers. It's just they are also overwhelmed by what happened with COVID-19 and with um, the effects that I did described uh, that that I. Uh, um, talked about on on well the consumption of goods instead of services etc but i think that that uh, it is very important to see uh, are these alliances really the answer to the future um, 
And uh, I'm not saying that it's not, but you should very much research that and be very careful just to see, well, w- what will be the future of the container system as a whole? Yeah. So I think that ports, um, um, well, they, they do not have the big impact compared to, to the power of powerful positions of the carriers, but there are some parties who have this impact. And one of the parties, that, that's the European Union. And I think they should be very carefully monitoring what is the real cause of, of the problems we see. And I think that 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 academic parties r- really should think in the coming years, what can we do to strengthen the system? What can we really do to improve the system? Should yeah. we search... An, an involvement of the European Union or governments in, in broader sense? Yes. Do you think that's a good idea or do we have to leave it up to the market? Well, I think that the involvement of parties is a very good idea because now we let it over to the market. Uh, the, the, the crisis in 2008 and 2009, that was also left to the market, to the banks. Um, if you leave it to the market, uh, I think there is really some market failure at the moment. And I'm also talking about the environmental costs. Uh, we are going to see emission trading. That is very important for global shipping in the future. So that is really on the agenda uh, that is really the disruption of the coming years will be, I think, very much related to climate issues, to huge tornadoes, etc., which is also at the moment something that makes that is of influence of of uh, uh, of the container system as, uh, as it is functioning right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in enough challenges, uh, yes. actually. Um, yes, and, and, and like Annette, our our uh, previous uh, guest for the podcast, um, you also, you, you may leave a question for our next guest um, in the show. So what would be your question? Uh, what are you curious about? Well, my question is, uh, what uh, are the, the Dutch carriers, um, which are very much related to European traffic, how are what are going they going to do to react on the increasing intra-European trade? Can they can they take the fruits of more regional trade, uh, and can the Dutch short sea sector really grow in in Europe uh, because of the the regionalization of the production? as a result of this deglobalization, which I talked about before. So will there be a new renaissance of um, uh, shorty shipping uh, in Europe? Yes. What does she think? Wonderful. Well, wonderful question. L- let's see uh, who our next guest will be from yes. the from the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Bart, uh, for sharing your ideas and your thoughts about the shipping industry uh, and, and what will be happening uh, in the near future. So thank you very much My for joining pleasure. me. My pleasure. We are going to close uh, this first uh, podcast. Are you enthusiastic? Subscribe and leave a comment. My name is Nuska Lehei and this uh, production is commissioned by the Port of Rotterdam. Technique by Bourgogne, production and edit by Louder Brand Activation. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. (laughs) 